Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Last First Date Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. Well, hello, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Sandy Weiner, and I am the founder of LastFirstDate.com. I am the dating and relationship coach for women over 40 who want to finally attract and sustain a lasting, loving relationship. It is never too late to have the love you deserve. And so whether you're single or in a relationship, this show has something for everybody. And I am so excited about my guest today. I will be speaking with Dr. Amy Banks. She's an author, a psychiatrist, and an expert in relational neuroscientists. Science, sorry. Dr. Banks is going to be speaking about how you can rewire your brain for better connection and better relationships. So we'll speak, we'll speak to her in a few minutes. And I just want to say that as a dating coach, it is my mission to help women over 40 recognize the qualities of a good man and to learn the relationship skills that you need to make love last because it does take skill. And many of us don't have those skills. We weren't born with those skills. We don't have parents who model those skills, so we do need to learn them. Um, And most women who come to me for support are wonderful mothers. They're successful in the workforce, but they do have challenges in the love department. And one of the mistakes that I notice that happens over and over again is that for women who grew up in the 60s and have worked hard to achieve success in the workforce, they often bring that same competitive edge to dating, and that can be a total turnoff to the men that they're attracted to. It makes them in the friend zone, or it makes men wonder whether they should date them or hire them. So it's very hard to know what kind of energy or or messages you're putting out because you're too close to the situation, and that's why I have created a free guide for you to help you to learn the three most common mistakes that midlife daters make and how you can turn them around to find love. So please go to my website, and that's lastfirstdate.com, L-A-S-T-F-I-R-S-T, date.com, and just sign up on my homepage for the free guide, and that will help you to identify those three mistakes that are most common among midlife daters, and how you can turn them around and find the love of your life. Today's show is sponsored by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. You can listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you like, and you'll get a free book when you sign up for your free 30-day trial at audibletrial.com forward slash last first date. That's audibletrial.com forward slash last first date. And now for our guest, Dr. Amy Banks. She was an instructor of psychiatry at Harvard Medical School, and she's now the director of advanced training at the Jean Baker Miller Training Institute at the Wellesley Centers for Women. She has a private practice in Lexington, Massachusetts, which specializes in relational psychopharmacology and therapy for people who suffer from chronic disconnection. She's also the author of a new book, Four Ways to Click, Rewire Your Brain for Stronger, more rewarding relationships, and I am enjoying that book a lot. Welcome to the show, Dr. Banks. Thank you so much. I'm glad you're enjoying the book. That makes me happy. <laughs> <laughs> I've been talking about it a lot to everybody who will listen. Because, Good. Please um, do that. Keep yeah, doing that. Yeah. I am. I'm going to keep yeah. promoting it because I, I. what I love about it is that you bring in the science of it, and I think um, a lot of people are not interested in science, and like you say in the second chapter, in the second part of the book, you can you can skip over the science if you want to, but you and you and I both love the science, and I'm sure many yes. others do. And and just knowing that there is a scientific reason for disconnection and for people having relational issues, it helps you to identify where in the brain it's happening and how to turn it around, because you give very specific ways for people to work on these um, areas that they have weaknesses. I right. love that. Yeah, thank you, thank you. Yeah, and what we know, I mean, it, I don't know where you're he- headed with this at first, but what we know is if you, if if you aren't aware, right, that are you're changing your brain anyway, and you may be 
changing your brain or in a way that is kind of against the relationships you want. So it's not like mm-hmm. you either going uh, to or neutral, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's and that's the tough thing when you repeat these patterns over and over again. Keeps your nervous system locked right into whatever marginal or bad relationships you've been in. True, and I, I think it also for me by by reading some of the examples and some some are very extreme. Um, like mm-hmm. I think it was Juan who Juan, um, yeah, poor yeah. Juan, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So h- if you can tell a little briefly about him, but uh, you know, in his case. Um, it was such an extreme example that happened at work, and and this happens a lot where it first gets identified at work, but it it's yes. something, it's behavior that 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 seeps into every relationship. So can you tell a little bit about yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Let me really let me tell folks a little bit about um, Juan. Juan was, uh, you know, someone that I've worked with, with that that isn't a, a lot unlike a number of people that I've worked with, but one had that chronic just irritability, you know, that that quick trigger, um, you know, and everyone knew that around him. You know, he was prickly. People didn't approach him easily. In meetings he was usually, you know, kind of curt at best. Um, and, you know, the, the story that I tell is about one day when he was feeling particularly um, sort of just irritated uh, with people. And, you know, he happened to work in an environment, he's a, he was a computer guy, is a computer guy, and he happened to work in an environment where the boss was actually trying to do a collaborative approach to meetings and, you know, allow people to be heard and, and um, listened to. And, you know, a lot of things that we know actually supports the nervous system and makes um, people work better, right? Uh, so he was doing that, but one, one's physiology wasn't tied into that at all. And in fact, he came one day particularly upset, um, irritable, and was in a meeting. Somebody, he presented an idea, somebody, a junior person thought of another idea and brought it up and he just went off, you know, just snapped, yelled at the guy. Everybody was sort of dumbstruck just looking at him. You know, he was basically dismissed from the meeting and, uh, you know, long story short, his uh, boss actually who valued his technical skill greatly and his, you know, wisdom around some of the technology stuff really had, had been telling him, the relational aspect is going to get you into trouble, and in fact, he worried he was going to be fired, but he was referred for counseling to try to get mm-hmm. some of this under control. Yeah, which I thought was such a good move on his boss's part. Yeah, um, right, right. So you helped him with his smart Vegas. Um, well, yeah, right? so so this is a good example um, in, in the book, uh, the way that I uh, talk about the science is to sort of break it down into four neural pathways for that that are needed really for a good, strong, healthy relationship. And there's a dance that goes on as you are in a healthy relationship. Those pathways are stimulated, hopefully in a positive way. They grow and develop, and the stronger those get the more your relationships uh, develop into healthy relationships. So there's this kind of feedback loop that can go <laughs> for or against, um, and we're hoping, you know, with some clearer instructions for people for. And so in Juan's case, we really were targeting what's called the smart vagus. Um, and in the CARE program, that's sort of the first pathway I talk about, C-A-R-E is um, stands for each one of these pathways, and hopefully by the end of today we'll cover them, but the C (laughs) is just, as you said, the smart vagus, and um, most people don't know about this. This is really kind of new research done by Steve Porges that identifies a third pathway of your autonomic nervous system. So that's the the autonomic is your automatic reaction, right? So for, um, for Juan, his automatic nervous system most people think of as the sympathetic, that stress response, or the parasympathetic, which is your rest and restore, and then in extreme, in the extreme uh, lethal situations, it's your freeze response. But most people think about stress as really building up your sympathetic nervous system, right? And certainly that was the case with Juan. And when you go back in his history, you find out, of course, that he's had many very complicated, um, pretty destructive relationships that 
kept feeding and growing his stress response system, his sympathetic nervous system, causing him to always be ready to either fight or flee. Mostly he fought. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. And so the smart vagus, come to find out, we all have, all all mammals have it, in, in fact, and it innervates the muscles of face ex- facial expression. So when you smile, when you move your mouth, when you're talking, when you raise your eyebrows, right? And so often you think about what happens when you greet somebody that you feel relatively safe with. You usually smile. You usually, you know, when that happens, your face lights up, you brighten um, your ears, those little teeny um Muscles in your inner ear are innervated by the smart vagus system, your throat. um, And when that happens, when that's stimulated, it feeds into your sympathetic nervous system and it basically says, stand down, you're not needed. And that's one of the ways that a healthy, safe relationship literally de-stresses us, helps us feel calm. Mm Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was telling this actually to a friend of mine who had sexual abuse as a child and mm-hmm. um, mostly physical abuse and, and some yeah. mild sexual abuse from, from one of her parents. And her response is, I'm going to die. Um, yep. You know, it's that's where it goes to. I'm going to be abandoned yeah. and I'm going to die. And so yeah. she has this state of panic that often happens and she's been through a lot of therapy I was telling yeah. her about the um, the app that you describe um, in the book yes. um, mm-hmm. for biofeedback. So yeah. um, do you have a name for that app in case anybody's interested? Well, there there is a com- there are a number of companies that are doing these, by taking the concept of neurofeedback, right? So usually um, for, for many, many years people were using biofeedback, which would measure pulse rate, your heart rate, that sort of thing. Um, what these do is measure your brain waves. Right. And at this point, you know, you could go to a neurofeedback clinician who would hook you up and get a very sophisticated sense of how your brain is integrated. But what they do, there's a company called Plaxis. And trust me, I have no connection to them, um, Mm -hmm. you know, financially or or otherwise. But you look, you can Google uh, neurofeedback headset um, and you can buy that. And then what you can do is download apps. looking right on my phone right now that <laughs> that coordinate with that and at this point there the you you put on this headset plug it into your iPhone and um it will they you can do kind of a concentration focus type of EEG stimulation or you can do a relaxation um uh, can't find it on my iPhone I'm so sorry um that's okay People can Google it. I just was curious in case anybody wanted to get to get an app um, to help them with with that kind of response if they've had yes. especially a traumatic childhood or absolutely you know, things that they want to work on. Um, yeah, I, th- there was a book I read a while ago when I was first getting into this business called Fierce Conversations by Susan Scott, mm. and um, mm-hmm. she gives different examples, especially in the workplace, of um, of difficult conversations that people have when it comes to confrontation and there yep. was one case that reminded me of Juan where yep. there was a a woman who was didn't play well with others she was a freelancer <laughs> yeah, yeah. um and you know it's the same kind of thing where where um it, it the, the there was a lot at risk uh at stake with her yep. not being able to be cooperative and um at the end she did do the work she she hmm. helped herself i don't remember how but um, she was very angry at her boss for basically saying, you've either got to work on yourself or, you, or you're gone. Um, right. And he was willing to train her, I think. And, and mm. anyway, at the end, after they got the account and everything worked out well and she, she really transformed, she said to him, I want you to know that the night that you told me that, I was so angry at you and I went home, I couldn't sleep. But but by doing what you did, not only did you help me at work, but you saved my marriage. And yeah. Exactly. You know that it's just to me that was so poignant because I think oh. people don't always realize the extent to which all this stuff goes. No, exactly, and that that these pathways for connection and relationship you are using in every relationship in your life, right? I mean, that's mm-hmm. I, I make a point to point this out because a lot of people will say, "Oh, my friendships are all good," and they may or may not 
be, but they miss the fact that maybe there's somebody at work that is really troublesome for them, or maybe they're mm-hmm. that person at work, <laughs> you know, that's really troublesome, yeah. um, mm-hmm. y- you know, and that that impacts all of your relationships. It doesn't just, you know, you can't lock it away at work. Um, and mm-hmm. so you're right, the, the trickle effect, if you, if you, if he taught her how to interact in a way that was, you know, respectful and, um, you know, could handle the conflicts that inevitably are raised in relationships without turning to being, you know, furious, rageful, abusive, what have you, then that's a skill that you, that goes across relationships and it's critical. Mm -hmm. It is. It is. Um, So, um, boy, there's so much I want to talk to you about in the book. Mm -hmm. Yeah. um, So just want to talk about something you said in the very beginning of the book, um, which is that we're being, we have been raised to be independent and that and thinking that we need to stand on our own and um and a lot of therapy is about building independent skills and then we are very bad at relationship in because yeah. of that or or I'm just paraphrasing um yes. can you can you address that please because I think that's a really important concept oh I think it's a crucial concept i mean the the you know I like to say the meta message of the book is that we are all in a culture it undermines our pathways for connection, right? And the culture, mm-hmm. it's the culture to, cu- cultural norm, which I think does play out in our approaches to therapy. The norm is that uh, a mature, healthy individual is, uh, you know, well-separated and individuated from others, right? Their boundaries are built mm-hmm. up. They're not impacted. You know, they're not, if somebody's mad at them, they're not going to fold, Um and it, it creates this illusion for people that they, in fact, can be these perfect, upright beings, right, relationally, that they that they really should be able to stand alone, that, that, that relationships are, um, you know, are nice but not necessary. Um, and, and I think that is a huge myth that just undermines everybody's pathways, right? I, I literally, um, last week on Thursday, went to um, a high school in New York in the Bronx and I asked the kids, okay, talk, talk to me about your definition of a mature, healthy adult. And they, and you know, within a short amount of time, they started saying the usual. You know, can do things on their own. Can you know, all of these metaphors and cliches that we have about the, you know, the tip, the well, the self-made man or the whatever, um, really undermines our ability to sustain these pathways in our relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so and and I hear it all the time because people in midlife are afraid to not be able to make it on their own and and they should be able to sustain themselves, but it's that fine line that people aren't willing to um that they walk where they're not willing to take a wall down and and open up and say yeah. I actually need to be in relationship that it it's exactly. It's a really important part of our lives. It's a crucial part of part of our lives and um People don't recognize that. I, I had a client once who told a guy on a first date, um, I'm I'm like very complete on my own. Um, you know, I have I, I have everything. I have the cake. I have all the ingredients. I'd like some icing, but you know, it's just like, right, right. You know, what an I don't invitation, really need right? You. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. She wondered why he never called her back. Well, exactly. Um, right. Yeah. And and that that it's it's biologically important to us to both need other people and be needed, right? I mean, that that is a natural thing rather than seeing yourself or other people as needy, right? Mm-hmm. That that causes that, you know, once that gets really associated with relationships, that neediness factor, then, you know, the switch to the stress response system happens all the time, right? You know, you yeah. don't have the relationship sort of n- nicely embedded in these four neural pathways for connection, right? That that concept. You want all of those wiring together, firing together, um, as you will, it, to 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 you know give you that sense of security, literally in the world that you're embedded in a in a community or in a s- set of relationships that sustain you. Mm-hmm. It's really true. I, something I was reading in the book recently made me think about um, how we cope with our past relationships. So, 
I don't remember which part it was, but um, you were talking about the people who have had difficult upbringings in particular um, Mm -hmm. and how you, you know, the things that you need to do to repair. And I think it might have been actually in the story about Juan um, creating, like, the boundaries that he had to have with his father and how he went with his sister and, Mm -hmm. um, you know, figured out when things would not be safe for him, what he would do in response. and. Um, and and surround yourself with safe, healthy relationships, and um, yes. So and those things are so important. And I I I remember having that awareness as as a when I was in my twenties, um, and um, and my father, I needed to start hanging up the phone on him because he he mm-hmm. really was was doing things that were not appropriate for me. Right. Yeah. And then um, that was sort of the beginning of my understanding of creating boundaries that were healthy. And um, mm-hmm. So and he he passed away about a, um, a week ago. So oh, it gosh. made me really yeah. well. I've been thinking a lot about you know when we have yeah. complex relationships with our parents, and many yes. of us do. Um, yeah. It's what you do with it that matters. And totally. um, yeah. So yeah. so so can you talk to that about you say in the book our relationships live within us, and yeah. so um, we all have long histories of relationships and. Yep. So what about the people yeah. who who haven't had healthy past relationships? Are they going to repeat history? Can they change history? Can yeah. they change Are the they future? Yeah, are they going to destined? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is where I think the book is very help- hopeful for people, I hope, when they read it, is that, you know, no no relational template, no one single or even five bad relationships predict or determine your future relationships. You know, the idea is to really be able to identify the qualities of a healthy relationship, right? The qualities of the relationships that you have in your life right now and uh you know and how your neural pathways are functioning. So once and you can see, you know, it's it's remarkable if you do the what's called the care assessment, you can literally see the, you know, I want to say the echo or the the stamp of those old relational templates. You know, it may be some of the questions around trust or I can I can turn to this person in an emergency or that sort of stuff. And you're going to see the stamp. You're going to see, I have a hard time reading people. They confuse me. I can't trust. You know, you're going to see that. Um, mm-hmm. And in seeing that clearly and understanding, okay, that's, you know what, that's a neurological pathway and what we know about these neurological pathways is that they are flexible and you're able to change them if you have the right guidance, right? Um, Then you can, you know, sort of really identify, okay, this feeling that's coming up, oh, I notice when I go, you know, whether I go on a first date or uh, I'm sure somebody's going to reject me and then you can see, oh, this is just, you know, this is stamped. What am I going to do? You know, how can I problem solve around settling my sympathetic nervous system, my stress response system, so that I don't feel abandoned before I even go on the date, Uh right? What do I have to do to get myself a different kind of message coming through, you know? Maybe you can't Uh do it on your own. Maybe you need need 10 text messages from a friend throughout the time that you're on the date, or maybe not 10, 10 (laughs) would be excessive, Um, that would take away from the date, but maybe you need to. Yeah, maybe you shouldn't be checking your phone on the date. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, uh, what do you need as a reminder of mm-hmm. something different than that template that you have lived with, right? Um, yeah. But it allows you sort of to create strategies out of the old bad relational templates that you have in the old relationships, quite literally. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and you can feel that negative energy that somebody brings with them to dating or in sure. any relationship. You know, it's in it's any so relationship. Palpable. Yeah, yeah. Um, yep. You know, you can feel somebody's lack of confidence or or um, yep. the messages that they're putting out. They don't realize they're broadcasting loud and clear, even though they are not saying a word. Well, um, that's right. And, then and you can. It, yeah. Go ahead. Well, what I was going to say is they're broadcasting loud and clear. And we have the neurophysiology to pick up those messages, right? We don't uh-huh. need to be told that. I mean, that's part of, you know, for instance, the resonance system. We will read that. We will feel that, even if you haven't told it to us, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's really true. And so 
Um, and basically whatever you project is what you attract. You know, so if you're saying I have a hard time reading people over and over again, you'll continue to have a hard time reading people. It's you know, That's it's right. your it's it's your old story that you keep telling mm-hmm. yourself. And um That's right. Yeah, we we talked all about and, old stories uh, all week during um, the week after my father died and all the siblings were together and boy did all the old stories come up. All the old stories, so, right? Yeah, yeah, and that that's all yeah. they are. And it's like we yeah. we're all adults and we and with the mm-hmm. right guidance, like you say, we can change these stories. That's right. That's right. Because it's when when the stories just keep playing out, and I always like to, you know, sort of uh, tie that back to literally the rules of neuroplasticity or brain change, right, which is use it or lose it. If you are playing out the same story over and over again, you are stimulating those pathways that basically shape your world into that story over and over again, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so, you know, whether you think about setting up roadblocks in your mind, you know, when when your mind is gone from... The present, <laughs> you know, you can see it just slides right into there to to the past and the assumptions that you have about what this relationship's going to be like and, you know, whatever. But to be able to reel that in, kind of stop it, get present, get centered. Okay, as you say, I'm an adult. I'm an adult. <laughs> this is mm-hmm. 2015. <clears throat> you know, here I go. Yeah. And it's interesting. There's a lot of, there are a lot of people out there who say the best, best, um, indicator for the present relationships are the person's past relationships, and I disagree. I think you need to look at them and see what patterns they've created. But people are so determined to know what happened in the past, what happened with your ex, mm-hmm. why why did your relationship fail, what did you do, and it mm-hmm. just gets you into this into this conversation that may be totally irrelevant. And I know mm-hmm. that I I want to be I want to be seen for who I am today, not for who I was because it's, yeah. I wasn't the same person 10 years ago as I am today in terms of how right. I am in relationship. And and you yep. would hope that the person you're with has also done the work and um That's right. So it's yeah, but so many people do make those quick snap judgments based on the past. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Right, and it yeah. in those you know snap judgments are always made out of fear. Mm-hmm. Right, mm-hmm. I mean they're not right. you know which means yourself. yeah trying to protect yourself, which means you're operating actually out of your stress response system, rather mm-hmm. than you know the pathways of connection which provide you actually more wisdom about relationships. Yeah. I, I've been really, yeah. yeah. I've been I've been looking at the people in my life and how they respond to um, in conversation. You know, the, how reactive they are, and yes. I've been a lot more um, sympathetic mm-hmm. <laughs> since I read your book because I do understand oh, that there's there's something misfiring there, and it's not. It, I don't I don't get as angry as I used to. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. And you know what? I, I mean, think about that. You know, th- that that is a huge gift. For for that other person, right? Because you know that person who is reactive is it's probably come from being in unsafe relationships of of some level. They're reactive. They they then see the reaction to their reactivity, which is some form of, you know, kind of meh, repulsion, rejection, whatever, you know, mm-hmm. and simply by being present differently on your end, you can help them dial back and maybe access some other pathways. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's a tremendous I mean, gift. I, yeah, it's, you know, I've gone through tremendous change since I became a coach and um, and just the way that I am in my own family, because the way the way I used to be was, to, there was a certain tone that I would bring to conversation with my children, for example, that I wasn't mm-hmm. aware of, except they were they very very kindly made me aware of it at yes. all times. And yes, I know that <laughs> phenomenon well. <laughs> yeah. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But there, but you know what? If you don't fight it and you really listen to the people who love you, there Absolutely. there are a lot of great messages there, and it can really oh. help you to become a better person, a That's better right. parent, a better a better everything. Um, yep. So I'm going to take a really quick break and okay. um, just give another shout-out back to audible.com, um, our sponsor, and um, and then we'll get back to speaking to Dr. Amy Banks about four ways to click. 
Um, so Last First Date Radio is very happy to be sponsored by Audible.com. They are a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. And they have over 150,000 titles that you can choose from, and you can listen on any device, including whatever you're listening to Last First Date Radio on right now. So if you sign up at audibletrial.com forward slash last first date, you're going to get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. So some of the books on the bestseller list right now on Audible are All the Light We Cannot See, great novel by Anthony Doerr, and uh, Fifty Shades of Grey, of course. Um, very uh, very popular now and talked about. Um, the book Wild, which I'm reading now for my book club and really really liking a lot better than the movie. Um, the book Yes, Please, which um, is by Amy Poehler, and because it's an audio book, you can hear Carol Burnett and Seth Meyers and her parents, Eileen and William Poehler, and Kathleen Turner. It's basically a dinner party with all of those people on it, and it sounds fascinating. Audiobooks are really fabulous if you're on the go, if you are driving long distances like I often do. It's so nice to be educated while you're in the car on the treadmill. Um, so you can go ahead and try Audible for your free month and free audiobook by going to audibletrial.com forward slash last first date. And I want to thank you for your support of our radio sponsor, Audible, and for giving yourself the gift of spoken audio entertainment. Is your book on Audible yet? It is. Yes. It, it is. is on Audible. Oh, so go out and get Amy Banks' book, Four Ways to Click. Rewire your brain for stronger, more rewarding relationships. There's a plug for your book again. Thank you. <laughs> oh, sure. So um, we were talking before a little bit about family upbringing. So, um, so actually, if, if you can go through the four ways, because um, we haven't gone through all four yet, and, sure. um, and yeah. just go through each one, that would be helpful. Yeah. So as I said before, it's the care, care C-A-R-E, and they stand for each one of these kind of pathways for connection. So C is for calm, and we talked about that, the smart Vegas and its ability to uh, settle down or help you feel calm. Uh, and unstressed when you're in a healthy relationship. The A is for a pathway, um, it's for a sense of accepted that you feel when you're in a good, healthy relationship or in a good, healthy group. And what that refers to is work that's done by Eisenberger and Lieberman out at UCLA, and they, they've done research on uh, the neuroscience of being left out, if you will. And they did um, did an experiment where they had people be left out of a cyberball experiment. And what they found was that, number one, most people felt uh, uncomfortable or distressed by it just simply by being left out of a computer ball toss game. But that those who had a higher level of distress had this area in the brain, the dorsal anterior cingulate gyrus, um, become more activated. And so they looked, what did they know about that? And what they knew is that that is the same pathway that lights up with the distress of physical pain. So basically what is that saying is that for human beings, and again, because we are uh, such interdependent organisms or animals, if you will, um, the pain, physical pain, is, exactly, is, is felt in the same area as social rejection or social pain. Um, mm-hmm. So being accepted and being uh, having a group around you literally settles down your pain pathways. And that's quite literal when you are in chronic pain. Uh, people that are in chronic pain often feel more isolated. And when you're more isolated, your sense of pain increases. So it's, you know, you can see this playing out on both sides. So that's the A. R is the resonance system. Um, and what that refers to is the mirror neuron system, um, and it's kind of this interconnected series of pathways in our brain that allow you to read another person's um, actions, intentions, sensations, and feelings, right? It's the roots of empathy. And basically what, what is being shown is that the way that we understand and read people um, is by internally mimicking them. So if I'm reaching out to shake somebody's hand and you're watching me, in your mind, the area in your brain and the prefrontal cortex that's planning that action to uh, shake someone's hand literally is activating. So it's as if you were doing it too, right? Um, and uh-huh. so that we just intuitively, we feel 
you know, other people. So that's R is for resonance. And then finally, the E is for the sense of energy that we get in good, healthy relationships. And what that refers to is the dopamine reward system. So um, the extent to which dopamine, the dopamine reward system, is remains attached to healthy relationships. So when we're born and, you know, in those early years of being well attached, hopefully, to parents and community, um, when we're in a nurturing relationship, we get the cuddling, the holding, all of the stuff that goes into that. It literally stimulates a re- that reward pathway that gives you a little hit of dopamine that, that provides pleasure, energy, uh, a little more focus. Um, and the idea is to keep building that pathway throughout your life and keep relationships close, right, so that that's your best source of dopamine. So, you know, going back to one thing we talked about earlier, when we raise people in a culture that devalues relationship and says you should be standing on your own, you can decouple those, right? You un- you unpair those. The dopamine, then you, and I think this is one of the things that is happening in our culture all the time, is people are searching for dopamine basically in all the wrong places. You can get uh-huh. dopamine from drugs of abuse. You can get it from shopping. You can get it from, you know, anything that that quick hit, right? Um so again, that's E for energy, and it's the extent to which good, healthy relationships really provide the focus and motivation that you need to be in your life. Mm-hmm. And you do talk a little bit about how to take a brain that has addiction yes. to things like you just mentioned and rewire it to receive dopamine in a healthier that's way, right. yeah. um, which I think yes. is really, really valuable. Um so say you don't have that healthy family, which a lot of people don't. Um, yep. And your ability to connect is 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 uh, is not healthy. Um, how how can people rewire the neural pathways? Um, to connect? Yeah. Well, so um, as I said before, you do the assessment, sort of see. But if you don't, so the first thing is I really have people work on is something called a positive relational moment. Um, And, you know, I tell people if you've not had that, if you don't have that, then, you know, maybe you are uh, finding some reasonable connection. You know, so if you really have come from an abusive place and you don't, you really don't feel safe with most people in your life. You know, they aren't rich relationships. Maybe it's a pet. I've had a number of people that come from abusive backgrounds who start literally imagining or or kind of holding on to the feeling that they have in their body and in their you know their whole being of being with a safe pet. And in fact. You know, we know now, I mean, there's research being done that, you know, dogs produce dopamine just as humans produce dopamine. So, you you know, that is a very real thing. But creating positive relational moments, you might have it with a therapist, that moment that you really felt the therapist got you or something. Um, You have to have something that gets stimulated over and over that's more positive. Does that make sense? And... So there it makes is, sense to me. <laughs> it makes sense to you, right? Right. Yeah. Right, because well, you, you gave a you gave a specific example of something that you held on to um, that was a, a a calm, positive relational moment with your children, right? Holding your yeah. two kids. And, yeah. Yeah. I, I and I do this I do this all the time, but the one that I described in my book it, it just stands out. Um, it it was a time that I was with my kids. They were 13. I was at Yellowstone. We were looking, we were heading off to the geysers, but they were, were just walking and they're holding my hands. You know, they're just at that age where it wasn't quite as embarrassing to hold your mom's hand at, at 13. (laughs) And, you know, just that feeling of, ah, this is, you know, just, I can breathe. I love my kids. They're, you know, they're great. They're funny. They're, uh, interactive and you know they're not yet they they weren't at the time 16 which they are right now I'm getting far fewer <laughs> rewards <laughs> I say. Um, but yeah that's the kind of thing so and, and what I tell people is think about what you're feeding your brain your pathways for connection right and a lot of people are just spontaneously feeding their brain a lot of you know, kind of sludge and goo about how, uh, you know, maybe incompetent they are or relationships are stressful. But what if when you're, and I have people actually do this, if you take one minute 
and focus like in your body and in your mind on a positive relational moment, you will notice that your entire physiology changes. When I do this in workshops, people will do it literally. I time it for 60 seconds. And what they'll notice is their chest feels more expansive. They feel brighter. They feel lighter. You know, their heart rate slows down. And it's really, there's you can feed that to yourself over it. It becomes a practice, right? Mm-hmm. Um you're going into an exam. If you're a kid, you're going into an exam. Have have those positive relational moments literally in your in your back pocket. <laughs> you know, hmm. when the stress starts creeping up, boom. Let okay. You know, let's yeah. pause. I have to teach that to my college student. Um my yeah. my, my my child who's a college student, um yeah. she she gets very overwhelmed when she has a test to study for. And yep. Um, I often feel that she's just thinking of everything at once, like it's just mm-hmm. one big pile of stuff sitting on her head. That's what it feels yep. like to me. Yes. And so I help her to kind of sort through and take the steps to just say, okay, I'm just, then i got to take this step, and then i got to take this step. Um, and then it just becomes less overwhelming. But, but yep. I think, you know, having her call up a, a positive relational moment will probably also help her, so I'll have to... Exactly, if she, and if she's it, open to hearing me. <laughs> if she's well, I was going to say, and if if she finds that helpful with you, really having her very consciously remember those moments that she's walked you mm-hmm. through, that you've walked her through that can mm-hmm. you know, and it's not even so much the you know slow me down. It's the it's the changing of the physiology to embody that interaction between the two of you that helps mm-hmm. to slow it down. Mm. Right. That's a good I point. I mean, one of the, right. Yeah, yeah, it's not, you know, and one of the things that, for instance, I've been teaching these high school students, um, you know, who are in these crazily, you know, high-pressured, high-competitive environments that, you know, they're, they're, you know, cramming, I have to stay up till 2, 3, 4 in the morning to study for this test, and what I tell them is, you know what, pause throughout the night and actually have a 10-minute conversation with a friend. You you feel like that's a distraction from the task mm-hmm. at hand, but when you plug back into that physiology of connection, into the mm-hmm. calmness, into the into the joy, into the dopamine, the learning will be better. It'll be mm-hmm. easier for you, right? Mm-hmm. You'll hold on to the information that you're even t- trying to digest in a more effective way. That's really interesting. Yeah. I, I once heard that in studying for tests, you should study in the same position as you'll be in when you take the test, too. Like oh, interesting. That if you're going to take it sitting, then you shouldn't be studying standing up and pacing. Yeah. Um, there's something about your body's memory yeah. of, yeah. of where you were. Um, well, you know, so that, that's sort of the, yeah, the neurons that wire together, fire together, you have to assume, right? So that, that, that mm-hmm. you want to, you wanna, that will be kind of a trigger in a sense, and I mean that in a positive way, not a negative way, that it could, mm-hmm. you know, that position, oh, yeah, you know, my body knows what this is when I'm sitting like this, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, interesting. And, and also what you were just saying about the high school kids reminds me a little bit of something I encourage my clients to do, which is to do like a buddy system when they're dating. Absolutely. Um, so you have a check-in before and after. You kind of bookend your dates with support and love and care from your friends. And I've had clients do that with me. It really helps. Um, yeah. And, and just yeah. building any kind of support into your life and asking for support and knowing that you can reach out to the friends who are there for you makes That's such right. a difference. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anything that you're you're kind of going out on a limb and feeling a little more vulnerable, right, than you might be comfortable mm-hmm. with. If you have people in your life, just as you said, to bookend it, that, that makes all the difference in the world. All mm-hmm. the difference, right? In in literally the quality of experience you're going to have with that person, as well as the you know after or not. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah. And and when you really begin to think about that, right, and not think, oh, that's somebody who does that is really needy and dependent, right? If you start mm-hmm. thinking, really, somebody who does that is just human, yeah. You know, then it, it really gets built in in a much different way, in a in a valued way. Yeah, and I also think there's a lot of strength actually in in vulnerability and um, in asking for help. It's 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 yeah. not a weakness at all. Most of us right. are very bad at it because we think we have to stand alone, which is what you right. discussed at the beginning. It's that 
You know, yep. we are an island into uh, in and into our uh, whatever onto ourselves. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I think that's that's a big mistake that people make, and that people don't realize. You know, somebody who came actually from Baltimore, and I live in Connecticut, who came the week that I was sitting shiva for my father, and mm-hmm. um, it was it so moved me that he made a four and a half hour drive to. Um, pay his respects and I thanked him today and he said I just want you to know that I did it as much for me as I did for you Um, Mm. I wanted to be there and that's and I think people don't realize that that by letting people do favors for you you're actually helping them too and um, there's this nice circle that um, you know that we reach out to each other and um, you know you you prevent people from having that pleasure of of serving you When you keep saying that I don't need anybody, that's right, and it and it really is a pleasure. It's a dopamine pleasure, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. You're absolutely right. Yeah, Yeah, and and if you could, you know, if you could get yourself to think that that you're you're actually if if you don't allow somebody to help you, you're actually depriving them Mm -hmm. of of something real. Real, yeah. I mean, it's a very, very, that's a fundamentally different way to look at being in the world and being in relationships. Yeah, yeah, it's true. Right. Let me ask you a question. It's a little off topic of of the relationships that are um, that we normally deal with, but mm-hmm. um, but I'm just curious. Um, I actually recently encountered somebody who had Asperger's, and mm. um, in people with Asperger's syndrome or autism don't have the same way of relating to people. Are, are, is this system at all helpful for people to improve their connection when they have yeah, autism it's, or that's, a, that's actually a, a really great question. And the short answer is yes. Um, and I think it could ha- help in a number of ways. There is research being done with autism and Asperger's where literally um, you have the person kind of mimicking very early on in life, facial expressions, right? Mm-hmm. So th- one one theory is that the mirror neuron system, it's not that they don't have mirror neurons, but that they're not as coordinated. In, they're not coordinating in a certain way, right, to to allow them to read the, the social cues that they're seeing. And so literally having them mimic another person kind of connects them up in a way that they may be able to use it. So that's one thing that I would say. Certainly mm-hmm. the other thing is, you know, really for somebody who um, has Asperger's, really identifying very clearly for them, you know, in a relational assessment, for instance, what does this relationship feel like? What do, you know, what do other people, um, how, do they, how do other people, how do you make sense of a healthy relationship? What would it look like is is a good cognitive strategy, right, uh, in mm-hmm. teaching them about relationships. And, you know, certainly a lot of uh, the work that is done with um, people on the spectrum is about teaching them to read the signals, teaching them, right, uh, both valuing what they they bring to it, but also helping, you know, it's a translational issue. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think you know a lot of adults need that kind of help, even with that when they're not on the spectrum. Um, that's right. You yeah. know, and it's, I think that's I, true. I see, yeah, and especially in the dating world, I see so many people just misreading each other and not yeah. seeing themselves and not seeing the messages that they give out, yeah. and and yeah. not and they're like, you know, they they. <laughs> The assessment that they make at the end of a date, two people can see the date in totally different ways because mm-hmm. of their own inner workings and right. upbringing and all kinds of things, and it's it's really fascinating, um, isn't it? You know, I was thinking yeah. the same thing just as you were saying that is is how often we misread other people. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. things even around the resonance systems that I have people do is, you know, if you're out with a friend, do spot checks, right? Like just mm-hmm. make an agreement. It might feel kind of you know quirky and weird at first, but where you're going to stop throughout the afternoon, or when you notice a change in the other person, and actually say, okay, I noticed this. This is how I'm making sense of it. Is that right? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and it's sort of like, you know, there's there's the innate resonance where my body is going to respond to what I'm sensing from your body, but then there's the making sense of it, right? The mentalization, mm-hmm. the putting 
putting uh, words to it. And we often, <laughs> you know, kind of break down there because, of course, we usually make sense of it the way we make sense of our own experiences, right, rather than right. really what theirs are. And, mm-hmm. you know, it really takes you from, you know, I, I often talk, I don't know if you talk like this, but of there's one person and another person, and then there's the entity of the relationship, right, which is mm-hmm. really a different entity, and, and you have to get yep. pulled from your from your like fixed places into that kind of uncertain unknown zone where you're literally collaborating and building something brand new together right it's really true uh, we there's actually a lot of coaching around relationships and relationship systems and when i was having some some struggles with with my daughter who's the college student mm-hmm. um i hired a coach to help me and she had mm-hmm. me sort of draw an imaginary triangle on the carpet and stand in the place of myself then stand in the place of my daughter and see it from yes. her eyes and then stand mm-hmm. in the place of just the relationship and hold the relationship. And it really helped me to see our relationship in a much more compassionate way and yes. to understand her. And I think we yes. often can't do that easily. So it's, it is. It's true. And who we become yeah. together in the relationship is very different than who we are in other relationships. Absolutely, right? Each one is very specific. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's all fascinating stuff. <laughs> yeah, it, um, it is. So let's say people are in a toxic relationship. You have a friend who's in a bad marriage or somebody you know who keeps dating the same person with a different face. Um, yep. Is there something you can do um, to help them? Um or people who are going through, I mean, a lot of people don't realize it. So can yeah, people, yeah. you know, is there a way for people to, to do it in a politically correct way so that right, they can say, be can open? I, is it too easy to say, give them my book? Is that too easy? <laughs> um, <laughs> read this. <laughs> yeah, right, read this, read this, read this immediately. <laughs> um, you know, I, I, I certainly think that, you know, if it's a good friend, um that you could say, you know, honestly, you could say that, um, you know, you you watch them get into these difficult relationships and get hurt over and over, and, you know, you're learning some things about relationship that you think might be helpful for them. It might not. I mean, don't put it out there. You don't, you know, what what don't you want to do? You don't want to shame them. You don't want them to feel like, oh, my God, I'm I'm never going to be good at relationships, right? Mm-hmm. Um but I do think, you know, showing, you know, number one, kind of naming it for them. I mean, it may be for people who really are in, you know, repeatedly in bad um, relationships, sometimes they just don't even know that there's anything different, right? Mm-hmm. This is the template they get. It's sort of, and it fits and it gets into every single relationship and they don't even know. So, you know, it's sort of that taking the time to reach out to them and just say, you know, I noticed this, not in a oh, you're terrible, but just I noticed Mm -hmm. this and it's really painful to watch you get hurt over and over again. You know, these are some things or resources or, you know, that I actually recently have found helpful. I think that's a very generous thing to do for someone. Yeah, I like the way you put it. Um, And and I'm glad you brought up the the no shaming um, because that's that's often how people approach other people and it it comes across as you're wrong, I'm right, or, um, you know, you're, you're hopeless or whatever, but it's, yep. it's not told from a place of love or it's not conveyed exactly. with love and compassion. And I think yep. that it's so important to say what your intention is when you're yeah. going to be confronting somebody about something this delicate. Yeah. And you know what I would say is, is you know, even the language of confronting, right, implies mm-hmm. heading into it with you, with your sympathetic nervous system, if not front and center, just behind you. And you mm-hmm. know, if you really, if you really come at it, you know, it's it's sort of sharing. You know, I, I want people to share feedback about me. I, I I've always said this. It doesn't mean I always want to hear it. <laughs> you know mm-hmm. what I mean, or that it feels good to hear it. But I really, right. honestly, always want to hear it. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, to really get that most people, 
most people who are in relationships really would love to have the information they need to be in healthy relationships, right? Um, they're reaching out there. It's like they're drinking salt water all the time. And it's yeah. got to be just enormously uh, demoralizing and disheartening <laughs> and depressing. Well, I, I think a lot of people would like to be in better relationships, but they don't really want to hear the truth. It's really hard for people mm-hmm. to hear and to do the work that's yep. necessary because it can feel really painful. It can um, feel really, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, no, no. I, so I, I think that, I mean, it's why a lot of people in my field end up quitting because they yeah. feel that, you know, that people keep saying they want help and they're not actually following through. And yeah. so, yeah, yeah, what were you going to say? Well, you know what I was going to I was going to say I was just um kind of brought back to one of the things that I use in my therapy practice really all the time and it's, it's in the book but um you know I often think that people people don't know what they don't know right <laughs> you know so if you don't know what a healthy look relationship would feel like it's hard to even imagine what the change is like right so even if you say okay and you know you have to do this, do practice doing this one task, you know, in the relationship. Um, and Jean Baker Miller, who who was one of the founding scholars of relational cultural theory, came up with something called the five good things in a growth-fostering relationship. And I use it particularly with the folks that have been traumatized where their nervous system has paired relationship with with threat, right? That That pairing has happened. And I'll say, okay, you're not going to believe this, but this is what it, how you would know if you're in a good good relationship. And I give them the five good things. One is, you know, and I ask them if they have somebody, can they try this on? But one is a sense of energy or zest, you know, when you're in that relationship. Two is that you have um, a, an ability to act. You feel more able to act um, on your own behalf, speak up, but also kind of out in the work, out in the world. You have clarity about yourself and the other person. And the relationship, so it's not that blurry who's what to whom <laughs> feeling. Mm-hmm. So clarity. Um, you have an increased sense of value in yourself. You actually, you, you know, we, we are, we're valued by another person, which allows us to feel value. And finally, you have a desire to be in more healthy relationships, you know, and those are the five good things. And, you know, we, we refer back to it over and over and over again um, mm-hmm. as a template. I am. I love this because, and I remember reading it in the book, um, people often, if if they haven't experienced a healthy relationship, they don't know what normal or healthy looks like. And and they normalize bad behavior. They make excuses for bad behavior. They think it's okay for people to speak, you know, down to them. And um, so it's so important to identify this, and this is so clear. Um, And these, I, I think these are really resonant. For me too, I would love to use these in my coaching. Yeah, um, yes. I, yeah, I think it's it's excellent. Um, we are almost at the end of this hour. Um, yes. I can't believe we have two minutes left. So, in in these last two minutes, um, if you could share some parting words um, with our audience and um, any links you want to link to. Um, well, the f- yeah, sure. So, so the first thing I, I you know that I I really wanted to, you know kind of shout loud and clear is that. Uh, our physiology works best when we're in healthy connections. When you, if you can build relationships in your life that feel uh, respectful, nurturing, uh, mutual, your health is going to be better. Your mental health is going to be better. It's it, it it's a it's just such a win win. So it's a goal to aspire to. I want everybody to remember that really the culture undermines this. And so part of the task is really identifying when you're hearing those messages from the culture that undermines it, right? When you're hearing somebody say, oh, I'm better standing on my own or I don't need anybody, just to mark that is that's that's a message that some that person has learned. So um, mm-hmm. those are two things. The third thing is, Neuroplasticity tells us that our central nervous system is almost infinitely plastic and changeable. So this is a very doable thing, but you need the right set of instructions, right? You need the guidebook that gives you another way to do it, and that really is what I'm offering in my book. The websites that I would refer people to, the first is going to be jbmti.org. That's the Gene Baker Miller Training 
org. That's the home of relational cultural theory. It's where my work comes from, uh, Judy Jordan, Maureen Walker. We have lots of publications about relationships, about, you know, on from the micro to the macro. Um, we I, I offer a webinar ser- series. I have one coming up actually starting next uh, month, actually in two weeks now that I think of it, um, on Four Ways to Click. It's going to be four sessions, and it models kind of the book. If people want to learn more about this, please tune in there. Um, let me think. What else? Uh, and, yeah, all of our resources are there. We have institutes twice a year. Um, so join us. I think there's a growing a growing body of people. I, I think of it as the relational life raft, that uh, growing body of organizations and people that really are putting relationships central. And uh, I'm hoping that everybody will join in. Well, this is wonderful. I, I really appreciate you coming on the air today. And um, your book is very valuable. People should go out and buy it, read it, do the Thank assessments, you. and work on those those neural pathways and rewire your brain. Um, thank you Can't again thank you for enough. coming on. All right. Thank yeah, you. thanks so much. And, Have a good day. Uh, thank you all for listening in today, and I hope you all go on your last first date very soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Bye.